those who have, through these many thousands of years, kept the scriptures pure for us so that we have an accurate copy of the scriptures that are just like the ones that Paul had. And so here we go. Let's read the scripture. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, and the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer and your love, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's stop here and pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to have the scriptures. And we, we already mentioned that we have scriptures because of faithful men, women, who have passed this word down faithfully throughout these many years. We're also thankful that we have copies of very close to the original documents so that we can compare and know that these words are true. We pray that you would today give us a sensitivity to the spirit working within us, helping us to understand these words so that we can live them out in this world. Help us to understand these scriptures all, all the way down to the very foundations of what they are saying. And give us discernment, not only to understand, but to be able to use these uh, scriptures in a fruitful way, things that will bring fruit to the kingdom of God. And finally, help us to put these things in action, uh, that we would not keep them hold up in ourselves, but they, they would make a difference in our community around us through us. And help us to always give you the honor and praise. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we've read this probably three times now. And we've talked about the first three <coughs> verses. We'll be focusing mainly on verses 3 to 11. So I hope you keep your scripture there along with you. We'll be referring to them several different times. But we really want to understand what is God trying to say to us today and what exactly is the main theme. Now, in this section of scripture, there's several things, important things, right, that he talks about. For instance, this message today could very much be about the joy that we have in the Christian life. He mentions that, doesn't he? He mentions that the Christian life is a life of joy. It could also very well be about love. He, he mentions not necessarily the word love, but he uses affection and he talks about holding them dear in his heart and he talks about yearning for them. 
But I think there's an even more foundational thing that he's trying to get across to us today. And so that's why I've chosen to talk about this message. The idea is that Christian fellowship is what we need to understand about this. Uh, let me start over with that again. The main message of the scripture, the foundational message, is about the joy and absolute necessity of Christian fellowship. This really goes to the heart of what Christian fellowship is, not necessarily describing it or uh, giving a definition of it, but actually showing us how that Christian fellowship is lived out and how he lived it out with the people from Philippi. And so I want to remind you of an illustration that we've used from here from time to time. So if you turn your notes over and kind of look at that illustration, it's called the wheel illustration. I just want to kind of refresh your memory about this because I learned this when I was a very young Christian, probably within the first week of me being a Christian. And it has stuck with me all the way through my Christian life. And the purpose of this is to make sure that we have our Christian life centered on the person of Christ. You ever, you ever had your life sway from one way or the other and you kind of get off track and you find out all of a sudden, I'm not on track with the Lord. I need to surrender my life again. I need to get back on the right track. Most of us have done that in one way or another. This is just a tool to help us keep Christ in the center of our life because we want to be what that outside ring says that we should be, right? We want to be obedient Christians and we want to be obedient Christians in action. In order for us to do that, we must have power that comes through this wheel and the center of the wheel is Christ. And in the Christian life, Christ is the center of our power, right? He is the source of our power through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. You know, it's happened more than one time in my life where I tried to make myself the source of power. And the wheel just doesn't travel that well when I am the source of power. You can imagine if this was a lopsided wheel and Christ was not the center, or if I put myself in the center of this wheel and try to drive those spokes and try to live the Christian life by myself, I soon would tire of that and probably eventually give up. But we as Christians, we do not give up, do we? We do not give up because our source of power is Christ as the center of our life. That's the whole purpose of Christ being in the hub of that wheel. It's the wheel hub that drives everything. And a wheel must be in balance as well, right? Any of you driven a, a car or a truck and you've got mud in your wheels? It's not a pleasant experience, is it? Until you get that mud out, you're not going to have a safe, uh, comfortable ride. It's going to be nothing but bumps, and it's the same way in the Christian life. If this wheel is not balanced, then you're going to have a rocky road to your life. And so let's look at these spokes, because these spokes, even though they're not the source of power, they are how the power is transferred to the outside part of the wheel, which is us. And so there's four different spokes that are represented here for the Christian. Prayer, being in the word of God. They're vertical because they deal with our relationship with God. 
But then on the left and the right, there is witnessing and then finally fellowship. And they are horizontal because they deal with our relationship with other people. And so each of these must be strong in our lives. Otherwise, we're going down a, a bumpy road. We're not, we're not living the full life that God wants us to live, a life full of power. And so you'll notice that fellowship is one of these spokes. And it's foundational to our Christian life and our Christian experience. Now, so many people today, and I, we've talked about this before, it's not the first time I've mentioned it here, but fellowship is, I think, so misunderstood. And Satan wants us to misunderstand it. He wants us to settle for companionship. He wants us to only settle for companionship. Companionship is being with someone else, right? Maybe even having a meal with them, uh, doing good things with them. But it's not everything that fellowship was designed by God to be. Fellowship is deeper than just companionship. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But let's remember, Satan comes to rob, kill, steal, and destroy and Satan will try to kill fellowship wherever he can. And for the most part, he succeeds. Do you hear that? For the most part, he, can, he actually succeeds in keeping us from enjoying true Christian fellowship. Fellowship is not always hard. That's why it's difficult for sometimes for us to actually enjoy that it means that we have to show up right i don't think fellowship is can be done over zoom or it can't be done through facebook it has to be done face to face Amen. and so we join here together the, the word church means an assembly so in one sense we cannot have church unless we assemble together but for the most part satan succeeds at killing fellowship he tries to sway us away with our lack of attendance. He may use irrelevant or boring preaching in order to accomplish the fact that people don't want to gather together. He can stir up quarreling and arguing in the congregation. He can stir up unforgiveness and miscommunication. And all those things can help destroy fellowship. So many times, I think, in our culture today that we go to things in the culture where people used to come to the church and get those things. Surely in our world today, there's a great need for physical needs that people have. Used to be they would come to the church and the church would have the funds and somehow God would provide the needs for those physical needs, but... So many times now people go to the government. It's easier to go to the government, right? It's kind of built in to go to the government for help. So many times people, let's just say go to the world for all kinds of things <laughs> that you used to come to the church for. And so I want to start out by saying that the foundation for true Christian fellowship is our partnership in the gospel. If you want to know 
how does how does how does this fellowship differ from just companionship? It starts out in that its foundation is the very partnership that we have in the gospel. We all have that, right? If you become a Christian, a follower of Christ, and you are a partner in the gospel, and Paul's saying that the Philippians are partners with him in the gospel. In other words, this partnership is a partnership that is made up of born-again believers. Amen? Amen. <laughs> the church is made up of born-again believers. Doesn't mean that we don't invite people who are not Christians into our services, but it means that our membership is, is, is of born-again believers in Christ. Paul is so confident in this and that in verse six, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's saying this partnership comes from a bond between us that is indissolvable and it cannot go away. It will be completed at the day of Jesus Christ. He will fulfill his commitment to you to bring you to the end and deliver you into the kingdom of God. That's why we can know that we have eternal security, right? Etern eternal security is that belief that once we are truly saved, that nothing can come between us and God and that he will ultimately bring us into his heavenly kingdom. But it's not based upon our good works, is it? It's based upon his promise. And the foundation of this partnership or this Christian fellowship is that we all who enjoy this fellowship must be part of this group of born again believers. I hope that's clear. We cannot have true Christian fellowship with an unbeliever. There's just not that, th there's not the essential thing in common, that relationship with Christ. We can be good friends with him. We can uh, do a lot of activities with them, but we cannot have Christian fellowship with them. That's only something experienced between born-again believers. So companionship is not Christian fellowship. Not saying that companionship is bad, but Satan wants us to settle for companionship. Just settle for companionship and everything will be okay. but it's not okay. Fellowship is something that goes much, much deeper. Fellowship is also based upon Christ being the center of that relationship, just like in that wheel. If a person is not a believer in Christ, you cannot have that central core hub that is Christ. Fellowship is also always associated with God's word, right? And so we experience fellowship in the context of usually something like, but it doesn't necessarily have to be, Sunday school or Bible study because it is always, fellowship is always associated with God's word. We get together to discuss God's word and how we stand up to it, where we fall short, how we can do better. And so it's always centered around God's word. It's always centered around prayer as well. And it's always centered around our mission to go and to reach those who are lost. And so all I'm saying here is that do not let Satan 
tempt you with the idea that you can settle for companionship and think that you have experienced fellowship. So many times when we get together, it's all about food, right? There's nothing wrong with food at a fellowship. But when it becomes the sole attraction, it becomes the idol of worshiping food. Right? <laughs> it, can be, it can become the idol of getting together just for the sake of food. There's no discussion about, uh, about spirituality that goes on. There's no discussion about what Christ is doing in your life. There's just talking and gossip and food. And those are some good times. But don't settle for that when you can have fellowship that's based upon God's word and studying about it, learning about what difference it makes in our lives and how it empowers us to do what Christ has called us to do. That is what true fellowship is meant to be. The disciples got to experience this 24-7, right? Following Jesus. I remember uh, it was after Jesus had rose from the dead, I believe, on the road to Emmaus. And the disciples were talking to Jesus. They really didn't realize it was Jesus whom they were talking to. But they knew later that the whole time they were talking with him and he was opening up the Old Testament to all the things that talked about him, they said, our hearts burned within us, right? That's what we get when we enjoy true fellowship is that heart burning, that burning within us that, hey, this is important. What we're doing is important. It's real. It makes a difference in the kingdom of God. It's not just about the food or the companionship, but it's about true fellowship. And so the foundation of true fellowship is our partnership in this gospel, just like it was between Paul and the, the people of Philippi. But also true Christian fellowship is characterized by brotherly love toward each other, something that you are not going to find in the world. We all know that we're sinners, right? <laughs> That's why we can love one another. We have let down the facade and we've let everyone know that we are sinners and that we need to be loved. I notice in here in the scriptures that Paul is very thankful for them. In verse number four, he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy and the verse prior to that, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. How do we love one another? First of all, we are <coughs> thankful for each other, aren't we? Amen. We are thankful for each and every person that is a part of our church and part of the body of Christ. We need you. We need each and every person. I won't go into all the teaching on spiritual gifts, but... I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks extensively about spiritual gifts. And he says, every one of us has a spiritual gift and every one of us is needed to fulfill the body of Christ. That's how important your attendance is, is that you be here and you be using your spiritual gift. And if you need help understanding what your spiritual gift, we can do something to help about that. But we are thankful for each other. And when Paul is thankful for the Philippians, it leads him to pray for them. 
part of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ and enjoying true fellowship is that we pray for each other. And we do that with joy, right? That's what it says. Prayer for each other leads to confidence and joy. First of all, thankfulness for each other leads to prayer. Prayer for each other leads to confidence and joy. And this love that we have for one another causes us to hold each other in our hearts. What a beautiful term that is, right? Hold each other in our hearts. They're here. They're right here. They're not going anywhere. The word affection that Paul uses instead of love, it means that we love each other from the most inward of our parts. It's literally talking about things like kidneys and different things like that. But in our language, it means from our innermost being, this love comes that we have for one another. It's not based upon necessarily our performance or what we do, but it's based because we're all part of the same body of Christ. I put down here that the love we're to have for each other it's a gut-wrenching love. It really is, right? It's a gut-wrenching love. And when someone is taken away from us, it hurts all of us. So where does this type of love come from? Part of it comes because we're partakers together of God's grace, right? That's what the scripture says. We are partakers together of God's grace. In other words, we have taken advantage of the free gift of God in Christ Jesus, that he provided Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for our sins, not because we deserve to be saved, but because of his great love for us, we have taken advantage of that. We've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we are part of the body of Christ. We are partakers together of the, of the grace of God. And therefore, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah. This is, as I've mentioned before, this is no artificial family. This is a real, true family. This is a family where Jesus said to his disciples, who said, your family's outside here waiting for you. And he says, this is my family. Those who are here with me and believe and trust in me because at that time his family had not believed and trusted in him. That's radical love, right? That's a radical family. That's not something that is made up, but it's something that is real. We are a family joined together by the blood of Christ. And it's very good news for us today. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. But also, that's all because of what Christ has done for us, right? But the Philippians, they have actually done some things that have caused Paul to love them. And so it's a deserved love. You can have that in the Bible too, right? You can have a love based upon merit or performance. It's not the only way. It's not the sacrificial way. But these, we have to go by what the scripture says. The scripture says but that they also have done something to deserve his special love. He says, you have been with me in my imprisonment. Paul often was thrown into jail for what he was doing and saying, mostly what he is saying. The Roman Empire didn't like it very much. 
when they said that Jesus was the Lord and that placed him up and above and over Caesar. They did not like that. They could not tolerate that. And so he was often thrown into jail for this. And he said, when I have been thrown into jail, you have been with me. You have been with me in my imprisonment. And because this, he has a special love for them. Have you ever thought about imagining? We talked about this in Sunday school, actually. <laughs> Unjustly put into jail and no one comes to visit. No one offers to take care of your family who's still outside. This is what often happened in the Roman Empire when people were put in jail. They were put in jail and say, pay back, you must pay back this debt that you owe before you can get out of jail. Well, there's not a whole lot of paying jobs in jail. Right? And so the only way people could get out of jail is if some good friend or some family member would work that off and come and pay them off. And in the meantime, visit them and encourage them. And so it seems as though the Philippian church, they were willing to do these things as well as the Hebrew, Hebrews. Remember the Hebrews? The book of Hebrews that we studied not too long ago? This is what they were commended for. They were commended that their brothers and sisters who had been thrown into prison, they were going to them and ministering to them and helping them pay off their debt so that they could get out of jail. Paul loved him for this, and you can understand why. They were there for him. They weren't ashamed of him because he was in jail for the sake of Christ. They associated themselves with him. When they went to those prisons, they were saying, hey, I'm a believer too, come and get me. But they stood with him, and they were not ashamed of him. They stood with him concerning the gospel. They stood with him in defending the gospel and confirmation of the gospel message that Paul preached. In other words, they said, what Paul believes, we believe as well. We're standing up with him for the gospel. So it's true. Fellowship goes much deeper than companionship, right? I can see a lot of my companions leaving me if I'm thrown into prison. <laughs> but not, not the Philippians, they didn't do that. And then finally, the outcome, there's an outcome of true Christian fellowship. When we practice true Christian fellowship, these things happen. Love grows, love grows. Look at verse nine. Paul says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. He prays for them. He's been, they have been faithful to sustain him during his imprisonment. And he says, you're great at loving me, but I want your love to grow and grow. And as you are in this fellowship, your love for each other should grow and grow and grow. Someone once called the local church an incubator for young Christians. It really is, right? It's an incubator for, long, for young Christians. It's a place to keep people safe and learn the things that they need to learn before they can go out in the big world and tackle some of the big things. But as they're in this incubator and as we are in this church, our love should grow for one another more and more and more. And the funny thing he says about this, he says, 
Not only that your love may abound more and more, but that it will grow with all knowledge and with all discernment. And in our world today, some people will say that's, that's opposite of what happens. When you try to be specific about what you know and what you discern, that's when trouble cause is caused in the church. That's when disunity comes. If you talk about doctrine and truth too much, then disunity is going to come in the church. That's not what Paul believed. Paul believed that as love abounded more and more, that knowledge also increases more and more and discernment increases more and more. I'm afraid, however, that we have been carried along by the world along into its sinful ways many times. We've got the knowledge. We've got the knowledge in our Bibles. We've got the knowledge in our Bible lessons of what we are supposed to be and the standards that we are supposed to keep, and dare I say rules that we are to follow and obedience that we are supposed to have toward Christ. But so many times we've been carried along by the world into its own sinful ways. And this is not new for this generation or, or past generations. It's always a temptation of generations of Christians to fall away because Satan wants the world to be enticing to us. And we all, all we have to do is, like many people have said, turn on the TV or turn on any kind of streaming service and see the advertisements or the advertisements. And they are all trying to lead us away from the purity and the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Almost all of them are in some ways or another trying to present something to you that will be the next idol in your life. And don't think that there are not idols today. They've just taken different shape and form. No longer are they statues that we put on our desk and bow down to, but they are things that we want to own and things that we want to experience that bring us happiness for a short period of time, but ultimately lead to our destruction. I mean, I could go on with so many different illustrations, uh, but I won't, because we know all too well that the standard is the Word of God. The Word of God says that we are to be pure, that we are to be holy, that we are to be modest, that we are to be uh, courageous, that we are to encourage one another, exhort one another. All these things are part of this fellowship which goes so much deeper than just being companions with others. So as knowledge grows and discernment grows, discernment, I believe, is the ability to use that knowledge to make good choices. I think that's, I think in the Christian church, we, a lot of times, we gain the knowledge, but we are immature in our discernment in knowing how to use that. But as discernment does grow and our actions become more like Christ, it says that our purity grows. Verse 10, it says that we are to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
And we can't just look at that verse and say, well, I'm human, I'll never be perfect, right? I hear that sometimes. It's true. <laughs> we never will be perfect. But the commandment still holds that we are to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So we don't just throw up our hands and say, well, I'm, perf I'm imperfect, I'm human. We don't just throw up our hands and give up on purity and blamelessness, right? We still try under the power of the Holy Spirit to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That really is a picture of the bride and groom, right? The groom, Jesus, coming back for his bride, the bride being spotless and pure. That's where ladies come up with the idea of wearing white uh, for their wedding, is we're pre presenting someone to the groom who's pure and blameless. And then finally, verse 11, filled with the righteousness, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As purity grows, righteousness grows, and ultimately, this is the ultimate goal of fellowship. Glory to God grows. Amen. <laughs> glory. He looks at the, you know, the world looks at the church and says glory to God for that church. And so fellowship, how do, I how do I engage in fellowship? Well, you can do it within your family. You can do it within your family. If you, if you are married and you have a spouse, you can do it within your family. If you have kids, grandkids, you can do it within your family and you can have a time where you set aside to pray together, to read the scriptures together, uh, to talk about what's going on in your life spiritually together and have a time of your own fellowship within your family. You can do it within the church. I know, I know of a, a couple guys who started a Bible study at their, at their place of work. You could start a Bible study in your home. You could attend a Bible study here on Wednesday evenings, or you could attend Bible study on Sunday mornings at Sunday school. There's a lot of ways that are available to take it deeper. And I encourage us in those small groups to not be content with companionship, right? <laughs> We must, we must get at the core issues sometimes of what's going in our life if we're going to help each other through this life and be the people we want to be. Well, I've gone on for a while and I preach at you pretty hard, but I am so thankful for Freedom Baptist Church because I think you guys get this and are, and are doing it. We just need to as Paul often says to his churches, do so more and more, right? Do so more and more. Expand our group. Expand from this group that meets on Sunday morning to larger groups outside of the church. And would we love them to come here? Absolutely. But they might not necessarily end up here. But as long as they are being conformed to the image of Christ and we're helping them along, then God will get the glory. And that's what it's all about, God getting the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank so much for this time. We thank you for fellowship, that you have given this wondrous thing, this most joyful thing for us to experience on this earth. We know that we will enjoy it most fully in heaven together when all sin is taken away. But doesn't mean that we cannot experience here because you have given us 
the ability to repent of our sin and to turn the other direction. And so I pray that you would help us to understand what fellowship truly is and that you would help us to seek opportunities for that fellowship and not to be turned aside by Satan who would want us to be settle and just settle with companionship in our relationships. Help us to be your people. We need your help. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.